The Mahmonim today is more about an approach, a methodology, than about the content, but the con- in, in the process we'll have interesting content as well. Um, the the parochis is, is such a, a beautiful and amazing piece of equipment in the in the Mishkan. Thanks. Um, so in the in the first base at Mikdash, in both base at Mikdash, the Kodshikadoshim was was twenty amot long, and the Heichal in front of it was forty amot long, and in between there was a divider. The divider between the Kodshi and the Kodoshim and the Heichal in the first base at Mikdash was a wall, which was an amah wide. And in the second base Hamikdash, it was two curtains with an amah in between them. Those two curtains are the parochis, which the Mishnah on Chafala Fomid Beis in, in Shkolim talks about. Very, very beautifully made and lots of details about it. And the, the Mishnah discusses what happens when it becomes Tomei, but in the process deals with a lot of other things. Parochet of Yat Tefach, the parochet was a tefach wide, very thick. Val Shivi Mushnaim Nimin Nereget, and it was it was woven in seventy-two weavers. Val Kol Nima looms, Val Kol Nima Venima Esrim Varba Kutim. And every every weaving was made of, of twenty-four threads. It was Orkar Ba'im Amad was 40 Amot wide, long, Rechava Esrim and 20 Amot wide. Umishmonim Ushteri Vona Aset. And it was made by 8200. Doesn't say what. Ushtaim Osim and they used to make two every year. Because you needed two parochas and they used to make two every year. Ushlosh Meot Koanim Matbilinota. And when it had to go to the mikveh, if it became Tomei, you needed 300 koanim to carry it to the mikveh and back again. So you get an idea of the beauty and the scale of, of this piece. Um, why the, the Rav explains, based on our Gemara here, because we've got Gemara Yerushalmi on it, 24 threads, because each thread was made of tchelet, argaman, tolat, shani, and shesh. Um, and each one was six was six times threaded, so it was like twenty. It, it was a huge number of threads with these different colors woven together. It was just totally beautiful. Um, its dimensions the same as the entranceway of the of the heichal. Um, it was made of eighty two hundred. So the the Rav Gaze, based on Gemara's, brings the three different things of what does 8200 mean. One says it was made from 8200 threads. One says it was made from 8200 gold coins. That's how much it cost. Um, and some said that it, there were, it's not 8200, it's 82 young girls used to weave it. The, the young girls were young, so there was no ta- Shaila of Tuma. Um, 300 koanim used to take it to be tabled. So, so the Rav brings the, the Gomorrah that we've got here, uh, that Shlosh Meot Kanim, the Tanayim Bamagnitim, the 300 Kanim that we're talking about in the Mishnah, Guzma Bahavaihi. That's a nonsensical exaggeration. Uh, and we see that occasionally in the Gomorrah, where we tell somebody is Guzma. And that's important. We have to know that there are times in the Gomorrah where the Gomorrah uses a fantastic number to make a point, but not to, be, not to be scientifically accurate, not to be quantitatively accurate. And the Gemara tells us when those times are, and even when it comes to Midrashim also, you've got to know what's metaphoric and what's, and what's literal. Not everything is literal. There's a literal idea. Everything is to convey something true, a, a true idea, but, it's not all, but, but sometimes there's some level of poetic license in order to 
to create that metaphor. But even when there is Guzma, there's a reason for it. The Vilna Gaon calculates that there are exactly 300 handbreadths in the perimeter of these dimensions, which means that 300 koanim could carry it, which gives you certain more about the dimensions than it is about the actual act of taking it to the, to the uh, mikra. Um, and the, and the, the Rav asks on, the Rav Mibatanura asks, uh, the, the, the Tiferish Yisrael asks on the Vilna Gon, but the Gemara says it's a Guzma. Why are you bothering to figure out the mathematics of it? So he says, because the Vilna Gon's concerned, why 300? Why not 500? Why not? If you're already exaggerating, then exaggerate big. No, it's uh, because this, to teach you something specific, it also teaches you the size of it. And it needed a lot of Kohanim to carry it. Not 300, it just needed a lot. That's what that means. Um, The Tiferes Yisrael is amazing. The Tiferes Yisrael, and this is the part that I wanted to show you about logic and methodology. The Tiferes Yisrael is Rabbi Yisrael Lifshitz, who wrote in two perushim on the, two interconnected perushim on the Mishnayos. The Yachin and the Boaz, the Yachin gives you the simple meaning of the words, and the Boaz gives you the Lomdas, the background, the thinking. But what's interesting about Rabbi Yisrael Lifshitz, he was a very, very much of a rationalist. So he, he integrated reason and science of the time into his understanding of Teresh Balpeh. And it became controversial because of that, as you can imagine. Not, not everybody was happy with that. Uh, and he has some really interesting, advanced, progressive insights, but everything is grounded in Chazal. Nothing is up in the air. And here you see a good example of it. So it's a long piece of Tiferes Yisrael, but I've highlighted the, the parts that, that are important. He starts off and he says he's dealing with a, a, a tension, a paradox in Chazal, which, which lots of people try, try to deal with. The paradox is the following. We have a principle in the Beis Hamikdash of Ein Aniyut B'Mokom Ashirus. There's no, there is no poverty in a place of wealth. So if you're in Buckingham Palace and they, you know, there's a bit of wine at the bottom of the bottles and they throw it out instead of storing it, you don't say, ah, wasting, wasting wine. You know, when there's Ashirus, when there's a lot of money around, you don't worry about the little things. And the Beis Hamikdash is considered like a place of wealth. So we don't, we're not miserly about the little things in order to save money. The most important thing is it should look grand and beautiful. That's how it is, like in a house of a king. So that's one principle. The other principle is, The Torah is very specific about, about Jewish funds. And, and there are many, many cases of that. Um, and the Tiferes Yisrael is talking about the conflict between these things. How could they have made two of these uh, two sets of curtains, two curtains, and every single year. Look at the size of it. Look at the labor. Look at the artistry. What would it have cost to create two parochas in every single year, and why? He goes through and he calculates it couldn't possibly get dirty. There's no dust there. He shows nobody comes in with shoes. Nobody. There's no possibility of even dust there. If it is, you brush it off a little bit. It's not, it's, it's not getting need replacement every year. Why would they go, would go to such a length, to such expense, to, to replace it every year? The, um, what's interesting also, it wasn't really out of public funds, because the, uh, the, the, the Mishnah says that they used to, if the, when there was a new one that, got, that, that had, had to be tabled, and you had to dry it out after the tabling, they would dry it out in a public place so everybody could see how beautiful it was, and people would donate so it's not as if it was taken out of taxes. People would donate, I want the next parochus, I want to be on my name. But still, the, the Tiferes Yisrael is still very worried about this. 
How could this be that they would do something so extravagant when it's totally unnecessary? So he says, says, where it's necessary, where there's some benefit, and where it's not huge amounts of money. But to take huge amounts of money and every year to repeat it in this, and what do you do with the old parochas? You have to bury them. You have to put them in Seamus. Can you imagine taking that amount of money every year and burying it on the ground because it's a little dirty? It's inter- interesting, the Rash Suriliu answers the, the question. Now, he's much earlier than the Tefesis, rather. Rash Suriliu is uh, one of the Gerushe Sfarad. He was part of the Spanish expulsion. Uh, he came to Tzfat at the time of Rabbi Yosef Cairo and of Shlomo Alkabetz. He was part of that group of people. Wrote an important parish on Mishnah and, and, and Yerushalmi. Uh, and he says it was the smoke from the Keturis. The, 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 every day the Keturis was bought, it was smoky in the Heichal there, and it would, the smoke would eventually stain the, the parochas and it wouldn't look good. Um, it's interesting that Tifisistro doesn't mention the smoke. He goes through every possible kind of dirt that could, and he says it doesn't apply, there isn't no, no dirt. He doesn't mention the Keturis. It could be he didn't have a copy of the Rashi review, or he wasn't worried about that for whatever reason. That's not really what I'm interested in. I'm really interested in the Tifisistro writing all of this because he's worried about the, the reality doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. But it's also important to notice, which is why I printed out the full Tiferes Yisrael, how many sources in Gomorrah he brings. This is not him just saying, oh, impossible, can't be, so let's find another parish. Just look at how many references to the Gomorrah there are. So, so he's got a, a, an issue, a logical issue, but he supports his logical issue with sources. Because if you don't have sources, if you're not extracting what you're saying from text, what you're saying is not valid in Torah. And that's what's really important, particularly today, where everybody's got something to say about Torah. If you're not bringing it out of a text professionally, you don't know that it's authentic. And I mentioned over Pesach that uh, the, the way I was raised by my rabbin was you need both. You've got to be innovative, because if you're not innovative, you won't be relevant. If you're teaching the same Torah that they taught 100 years ago, or you're teaching the same Torah that you taught one year ago, it's not going to be relevant to today. So you've got to be constantly innovating as you learn. But it also has to be 100% authentic. You've got to have a source for everything you say. So one has to be careful now. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry is giving shurim and writing blogs and, and giving perushim. That's fine. That's your own opinion as to what, what is. But where, where's, the, where's the professionalism of, of extrapolation and deduction from sources? So although the, the Tiferes Yisrael is using his sense of logic, notice the sources that he brings. And eventually he says, and therefore, uh, if I weren't so upset, so, so embarrassed in front of all the Rabbeim who've learned this way, I would say it means something else. It means that it took a full year to produce two parochas. Alternatively, it means that, the, the, uh, the, and he brings proofs from the Gemaras, that in the Beis HaMikdash there was two of everything. Because of, during Yom Tif, they used to worry that there were Amaratzim there who were Tameim and they touched could have come into contact with the kalim of the Beis Amikdash. So they used to table, there was always a double set, so while they're tabling the one set, they could replace the other set. He said the sa- it means the same with the parochet. There were two sets that after every Sukkot and Pesach, they would, they would circulate it, they would alternate it. Clearly that's what it must mean, not that they manufactured a new parochet. It doesn't make sense. So, so he's using his logic, doesn't make sense, together with a lot of makurs, a lot of sources, and he proposes a perush different from everybody. Nobody says what the Tevei Yisrael says. So he has the, he's willing, and he says with respect and all the rest of it, but at the end of the day he proposes a more rational explanation. But the important part is right at the end. After I wrote this, 
which means in a later edition, he writes, Hashem opened my eyes. And in Masechet Midot, I saw there's a parish, an anonymous parish that we've got there. It just says there they used to take one down and put one back. So he brings a raya and says, Ah, now, I've, now I have a source. What, the reason that I bring this to you is to show how even after he'd worked all this out, he's bothered by it because there isn't a source. There's got to be a way, you've got to authenticate what you're saying. This is, you can, if you don't authenticate, what is it worth? It's like bringing a dollar bill or a, she, a hundred shekels and it's not authenticated. Bringing a document and it's not authenticated. It's meaningless. And so it is with Chidushe Torah. If it's not authenticated, it's meaningless. It's just an opinion. That's the difference between a, an opinion and a Chidush. And you see in the methodology of the Defense Israel that, that he reasons it all fine. That's a, and he innovates like crazy, but he spends the rest of his life still trying to find a source to support him. Because without the source, he's afraid that he lacks the, the necessary authenticity. So this alignment of creative and innovative thinking with Makuris, with, with authentic sources in Chazal, is the essence of, uh, of, of Torah learning. Yeah. Yeah.